Chair, staff is ready when you are. Thank you. Good evening, and welcome to the May 3rd, 2023 Sacramento Disability Advisory Commission meeting. The meeting is now called to order. Will the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum? Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Tuzon Boyd is absent. Commissioner Kennedy? Here. Commissioner Mercer? Here. Commissioner Kramer? Here. Commissioner Williams? Here. Commissioner Chand? Here. Commissioner Crespin? Here. Vice Chair Crowley? Present. And Chair McMillan? Yeah. Thank you. We have quorum. Thank you. This meeting is also virtual via Zoom. For members of the public who wish to join, please please refer to the agenda in the Zoom link. Once you have joined the meeting and you wish to speak, raise your hand to provide public comment when the chair confirms public comment speaking period for your desired item. If you're online, click raise your hand at the bottom of the screen. If you're on the mobile app, you can raise your hand by tapping on the raised hand option under the more tab. If you're calling in via telephone to raise your hand, dial star nine. Then to unmute or mute, dial star six. Speakers will be called on by the last four digits of their phone number. You'll have two minutes to speak once you're call, called on. I'll proceed with today's agenda. Please rise for the land acknowledgement. To the people of this land, the Nisinan people, the southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, the Putwin Wintoon peoples, and the people of the Ra Walton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the active pra practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you. Commissioner Kramer, will you lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Our first business today is approval of the consent calendar. Uh, Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on the consent calendar? Thank you, Chair. I have no speaker slips from those in chambers, and I have no hands raised online. Yeah. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak on the consent calendar? If not, I will uh, look for a motion to pass consent on the minutes and the follow-up log. Motion to approve, Commissioner Crowley. Second. Motion to second, Commissioner Mercer. Clerk, can you take a vote, please? Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Tuzon Boyd is currently absent. Commissioner Kennedy? Aye. Commissioner Mercer? Aye. Commissioner Kramer? Aye. Commissioner Williams? Aye. Commissioner Chand? Commissioner Crespin? Abstain, I was absent that meeting. Vice Chair Crowley? Aye. And Chair McMillan? Aye. Thank you, the motion passes. Thank you. Um, moving on to the agenda, we have one presentation this week. Um, it's with the Audit Committee. Is, do we have someone present to present to us? Good evening, members of the Disabilities Advisory Commission. I'm Farishta Arari. I'm the Assistant City Auditor. Uh, the recommendation that is before you is to receive and file the language access audit report that we conducted. This report was reviewed and approved by the City Council on January 31st, 2023. Uh, both the City Auditor's Office and the City Manager's Office had been tasked by the City Council 
with evaluating the city's language access services. For the sake of efficiency and not to duplicate efforts, the auditor's office partnered with the city manager's office and a third party language service provider, NIMSI Insights, to review language access best practices compared to the city's current practices, survey city employees and community members, and provide recommendations for improvement. NIMSI Insights is a market research and international consulting company that works with language access, language service providers, enterprises, and government agencies. Uh, the city auditor's office worked with NIMSI Insights to maintain independence and to form our own separate conclusions based on NIMSI Insights' work. Uh, the city manager's office retains responsibility for the policy development process. All right, so what do the best practices and guidance recommend when it comes to language access services? Uh, while the city of Sacramento may not be required to adhere to much of the guidance referenced in the report, the guidance can be leveraged to assist the city in developing a language access policy and in ensuring robust language service access services are available to the community. So first, there is federal guidance that states that recipients of federal funding have a responsibility to ensure meaningful access to their programs and activities by persons with limited English proficiency, LEP. The guidance recommends conducting a four-factor analysis when determining the extent to which uh, to provide language access services, which includes the number of LEP persons eligible to be served by the program, the frequency and type of LEP encounters, the relative importance and nature of the benefits or services that the program offers, and the resources available for the program in relation <clears throat> to the cost of providing language access services. The federal guidance also provides a self-assessment tool for language access planning, which includes understanding how LEP individuals interact with your agency, identifying and assessing LEP communities, training staff, and providing notice of language assistance services. There is also State of California guidance, which requires state agencies that serve a substantial number of non-English speaking individuals to provide translated materials or bilingual employees in order to facilitate meaningful access to written materials, services, and benefits. The act sets forth a th threshold at which state agencies are required to provide language access services to any language group whose non-English speakers comprise 5% or more of the people served by the office or facility of the state agency. Written materials should be distributed when it requires the individual to provide information or when it may affect an individual's rights, duties, or privileges with regard to an agency's services or benefits. We also uh, researched other California cities to see what they included in their language access policies. We identified a number of California cities and counties that had adopted language access policies and we focused on the six that are listed in this table. We conducted more detailed reviews of their policies. Half of the city's policies identified the other non-English languages that should be available and a threshold for determining which languages to provide services. We also reviewed the various language services that the city currently has in place. So the city offers telephone interpretation services using LanguageLink. Uh, this service is mostly used by the city's 311 and call 11, sorry, 911 call center agents. For example, a review of the city's 911 call center found that LanguageLink was used 5,143 calls um, between January and August 2021. The city also contracts with another service, Interlingva, for on-site interpreter and translation services for meetings, live public events, or TV broadcasts. And the city also offers American Sign Language interpretation services using NorCal services for the deaf and hard of hearing. The city also offers bilingual incentive pay to city employees who provide interpretation or translation services. 
During our review, we found that the city provides the incentive to 126 city employees at an estimated annual cost of over $200,000. Most of the employees receive bilingual pay for speaking Spanish. So as mentioned, NIMSI Insights conducted a language access survey of community members. The survey was translated into Spanish, Chinese, both traditional and simplified, Vietnamese and Hmong. Most of the respondents took the survey in English, while 21 took it in Spanish, one in Vietnamese, and one in simplified Chinese. Uh, note that the number of responses per language is not an accurate reflection of the total responses from LEP individuals, as some of them that took the survey in English also self-identified as LEP. So one of the questions that were asked in the survey was whether the respondents were aware that the City of Sacramento offered free translation and interpretation services. Uh, nearly 56% of those that took the survey in English and 33% of those that took it in Spanish were not aware. Uh, language access guidance for federal and state agencies suggests that the first step in drafting a language access policy is to identify the total population and languages spoken by individuals that have limited English proficiency. According to the U.S. Census data, LEP individuals comprise 13% of the total population in the city of Sacramento. The U.S. Census data also provides a breakdown of the languages spoken at home by the city's LEP population. This figure shows that the language is spoken, shows the language is spoken, the percentage of the city's total population and the number of individuals this represents. And as shown in the table, Spanish is the most common non-English language spoken at home for Sacramento residents. So we made three recommendations that are related to establishing and maintaining robust language access capabilities for Spanish-speaking LEP residents, evaluating whether specific department programs serve other LEP individuals, and regularly evaluating the number and proportion of LEP individuals to assess the sufficiency of the city's language access services. So federal guidance also states that an agency should assess the frequency with which they have or should have contact with LEP individuals from different language groups seeking assistance. We surveyed city employees to estimate how often they interacted with LEP individuals on a monthly basis. Survey results indicate that city departments vary considerably in the volume of LEP interactions they handle per month, ranging from less than 10 to over 200. For example, 100% of the call, 311 call center employees who responded to the survey stated that they encountered more than 200 LEP individuals per month, 20% of the police department and 20% of the fire department employees that responded to the survey stated that they come in contact with LEP individuals more than 200 times per month. Uh, we made three additional recommendations related to the frequency and type of LEP encounters, including providing guidance on whether programs should perform additional outreach to LEP persons, providing guidance on whether programs that interact frequently with LEP individuals should provide meaningful language access services at a broader scale than other departments or programs, and evaluating whether funding for language services is sufficient based on the volume of LEP individuals that interact with the city departments or programs. Uh, we conducted a survey of LEP community members and the survey results indicate that the city may not be providing interpreters when one would have been preferred. While not every situation requires an interpreter, several individual responses raise concerns that interpreters are not being provided in cases where rights, benefits, health, and or safety are involved, specifically those where the police department or 911 did not provide interpreters. And our survey of city employees found that roughly 40% of respondents across departments indicated that English proficient children or adult family members act as interpreters. Federal guidance states that agencies should avoid using children, family, or friends as interpreters because it's difficult to ensure that they interpret accurately. 
Federal guidance states that when a particular language is encountered often, hiring bilingual staff is one of the best options. Our survey of city employees found that many employees turn to bilingual staff as their first resource for interpreter services. Bilingual staff can also be used for translation services, but professional translators should be used for vital or lengthy documents. We made four recommendations related to training staff on language access procedures, providing guidance on how to respond in situations when a minor or family member is asked to serve as an interpreter, providing direction on how and when bilingual staff are used, and other resources that can be leveraged by the city in ensuring the city's websites are accessible. Our survey of LEP community members also indicated that LEP individuals are not always provided with translations in situations where vital information is likely to be conveyed. So as Spanish is the most prevalent non-English language spoken by LEP individuals in Sacramento, we recommend translating all vital documents into Spanish and making them available at the, at the same time or with as minimal lag as possible as the equivalent English language documents. For all other LEP languages, including those that are encountered on a very infrequent basis, we recommend vital documents be handled in one of the following two ways. Either making uh, translations available upon request or providing vital documents to interpreters who can explain the contents of the written documents to the LEP individual and assist in filling out any documents that require the LEP individual to provide information. Proactively informing the public about the availability of language access services will help to foster engagement. Our survey found that it is likely that the city is not using sufficient resources to proactively inform the public about the availability of language access services and or city employees are unaware of what steps they can take to communicate with LEP individuals about their programs and services. And other means of proactively notifying LEP and deaf individuals of the availability of language services should also be employed. One example of how to overcome hesitancy about requesting language access services is the use of I Speak language cards. King County, Washington has developed an I Speak toolkit. The toolkit includes an I Speak card for consumers to bring with them when they are seeking care, which identifies the language they speak, and a Know Your Rights text to inform both consumers and providers regarding the use of interpreter services. We also found that the city's website does not have a complaint form that LEP individuals can file if the city's language services they were provided were not of good quality. This would provide the city with the opportunity to adjust any shortcomings in the city's language access services. We made four recommendations related to developing guidance for city departments to identify their vital documents that should be translated, training employees on how to determine if an individual is LEP and when to offer language assistance, employing additional means to proactively notify LEP individuals of the availability of language services, and developing a mechanism that allows LEP individuals to file a complaint about the city's language access services. Then agencies should consider the most cost-effective means of delivering competent and accurate language services and determine the resources available to assist persons with LEP. Programs should carefully explore the most cost-effective means of delivering competent and accurate language services before limiting services due to resource concerns. Our final two recommendations include considering providing ongoing funding for language access marketing so that community members are aware of the language access services provided by the city and considering appointing a citywide LEP coordinator or a working group to regularly monitor and update the agency's response to LEP needs. So a response by the city manager's office is included in the audit report and um, it responds to all 16 of our recommendations. Many of the recommendations will be addressed with the development of a language access policy which the city manager's office is currently working on. I'd like to thank the city manager's office and city attorney's office for working closely with us on this project and this concludes my presentation. I'm available to answer any questions. Thank you so much. Uh,
clerk, is there any members of the public who wish to comment on this subject? Thank you, Chair. I have no speaker slips from those in chambers, and I have one hand raised online. Uh, Peter. Good evening, uh, Mr. Chair and members of the commission. Good to be with you tonight. Um, I just wanted to mention that language access for our entire committee, including people with uh, disabilities, is important. I should mention I'm a committee program specialist with the City Council on Developmental Disabilities, Sacramento Regional Office. It's important that how to request language access uh, be posted and, uh, you know, put out in all city announcements. Additionally, when folks are exercising their rights or remedies or a victim of a tragic event or violent crime or witness, uh, they need to have access to language services. And that also includes people who may be uh, suspects and in, uh, involved in the criminal justice system. Having family members uh, provide that role or friends violates confidentiality. And oftentimes it is difficult for someone to feel freely to be able to discuss something that may be deeply personal or confidential if a family member or friend is present. Um, so more needs to be done to really make sure that there's language access for the entire committee. And that also, I should mention, should cover putting documents in plain language. And thank you for your time. It's good to be here with you all. Thank you for your comments. Chair, I have no more hands raised for public comment. Well, first of all, if I may go first, I'd like thank you for being here and giving us this presentation. I'm excited that the city is investing the time to do this. That's kind of important. It's not kind of important. It's really important. A um, couple of things. No, knowing that you're in front of the Disability Advisory Commission, you know where we're going to go with language. Um, but one thing that I you know, there are 10 million people in the United States with hearing loss or hearing impairment and probably over a million people with um, total hearing loss. Um, although I see the threshold that, that was published there, it's for, for communities that have 5% of a population. And then when you look at our population, Spanish is the only one over 5% at 5.4%. So understand why why the accommodation is appropriately there. Um, also saw that um, there was outreach to um, what you called ambassador groups and engagement groups. And I um, thought maybe there could have been some engagement out to the, to the disability community for feedback on this. I did notice in, in one of the stats, there were as many respondents um, requesting American Sign Language as they were Vietnamese. So, you know, there, there may be a greater audience there. I'm really glad we do provide interpretation services, so that's a good thing. Um, the incentives for employees to learn other languages, I, I, I would like to see American Sign Language being an incentive to employees to learn that in the workplace, um, creating more opportunities and inclusiveness for hearing impaired employees. I thought particularly um, the police department might want to um, have that available to them. Um, as we've seen, uh, people with disabilities, not just hearing impaired, uh, need, need a little bit extra help there when dealing with law enforcement sometime. Really happy to see websites and digital services included. That's really critical to this commission. Um, I did also notice that many folks are not comfortable asking for help. Mm -hmm. So get this marketing going out there, that, which is really good. And I really like what the, what the state of Minnesota has done for hearing impaired people, and hopefully we can adopt something like that. So, uh, but again, thank you, and, and, and for that, um, it's good. So um, I do understand, just so the commissioners know, 
the uh, audit committee is going to go away and write a policy and come back with the policy to us once it's written, is my understanding, so we can provide more input before it goes to council for approval, just so you know. Anyway, um, next up, uh, Commissioner Crespin. Thank you. Thank you for your presentation. Appreciate that. Um, and, and as Chair said, this is vitally important, so it's great that we're taking a look at this right now. I do have a couple of comments and then a couple of questions for you. Um, we talked about having staff on hand, if they just happen to be bilingual, be able to speak other languages other than English, that they could be used, and you're exploring, or the study's exploring ways to do that. Um, Peter also mentioned our public comment confidentiality as an issue, so I would just want to underscore that, and it would need to really be appropriate staff. So what I mean by that is staff who's trained in the topic that's being covered and not somebody um, kind of pulled from a completely different department or something like that, so appropriate staff. Also, I noticed that vital services are defined federally, and I was just wondering and wanting to confirm because I think you said in your presentation that the city did review its own documentation for what it considers vital? Is that true? Um, that, I think, is, is a recommendation that we're making that I don't think they've done it just okay. yet. Okay, great. No. Yeah, I would think that would be great. Um, and then my questions are, um, the first of three really is, what happens if a language is not recognized? What, what do you mean, like? If it's a language that our kind of most common interpreters on hand just don't recognize. If there's a voicemail um, or somebody comes into a um, city location and is speaking in a language that is just not recognized. Um, I think our language service providers, they, I don't know exact numbers. I think I put it in the report of how many, number, uh, how many different languages that they actually offer services. So... I would assume that the staff would then contact them to try to figure out what language it is that the um, customer is speaking so then they can get them in touch with the right interpreter to provide the service. Yeah, I think just recognizing that process formally will be really important. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so these services being very flexible, easy to access, and having that uh, access very quickly is going to be really important. So I was wondering if there's anything in the policy or any recommendations or exploration of how quickly somebody can get an, an interpreter. Um, I have not yet seen the policy that the city manager's office is working on, but they're using the recommendations that we made to make sure that they address the different points in our recommendations. And some of those are like making sure staff are trained and identifying when an interpreter is needed and, and knowing which processes to follow. Because some of the things that we found in the survey was that the city staff didn't even know which contractors we use and how to get in touch with them. So providing that training to staff that um, would have interactions with the community that would need it um, should, is going to most likely going to be addressed in the policy. Yeah, and I think kind of the idea with quickly is sometimes folks are taking time off work to come to, to see city services or city personnel, and we would just want to have it as quickly as possible accessible to people. And then, you know, obviously you, you mentioned contractors. I'm sure there's contractors that are first responders. Also making sure that the policy addresses not just city staff and employees, but also its contractors as well mm -hmm. and what their being expected to do as far as interpretation is concerned. Sure. Yeah. All right. I'll make sure to relay that to the city manager's office as well to let them know. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Mercer. Um, yes. Um, I have um, direct family members who would have what I would say non-normative communication but are English speaking or were educated in English. My mother had um, measles as a four-year-old and has had profound hearing loss. And at the particular time she had it, in the 1940s, it was standard to go over and teach them lip reading, um, not to go over and teach them ASL. So she does not have ASL as a language backup. Fortunately, she can read and write. Um, but this has presented some severe, some. Um, 
some real barriers to her mm -hmm. uh, in accessing health care, in interactions with um, police and law enforcement, and, uh, and other situations. Um, first, I'm troubled because it strikes me the difference between the 911 police response over on this and 311. And I'm concerned that the police department um, is probably trying to slide by on stuff like that and allowing family members to go over and do the communication as much as possible uh, because they don't want to bother going over and accessing uh, the services that are available to go over and assist them with that. Um, that I don't know for certain, but I suspect that based over on the data that's being presented and kind of how I've seen uh, things operate. At the other end of that, so I have a mother who does not hear, um, and during COVID, COVID, this was quite difficult because people were around her in masks. She's relying on lip reading. It was a bad situation. Um, uh, and then, um, as you could tell, because she's had interactions over uh, with law enforcement, she, her communication skills are not fantastic. Um, on the other end of this, I have my husband who's had a full um, laryngectomy done um, after a... Um, a brainstem stroke to allow him to eat. That means he cannot speak. So we have to lip read him. Um, and um, so that means um, that his communication skills are limited. I think going over and treating this, that card that you had mm -hmm. uh, for people who are non-hearing to present, I, I think is a first step. But it's a lot more complex because most of the people who experience hearing loss, that happens as they get older. They do not end up learning ASL. They get hearing aids and they try and cope the best they can. I cannot even imagine because I know there are people within some of these um, communities that were not raised in English, um, you know, in environments that were English speaking, um, what it must be like for people who are in um, in, in communities like that who have hearing loss or uh, are unable to speak or something like that. And so I, I don't know that this document's going to be the place that this could be taken care of, but you're going to have to think about this entire problem, I think, a little bit more broadly. And um, I understand why we put the ASL in thing over in here with people who are speaking other languages and can communicate um, in those languages, um, you know, uh, some of them are not going to be able to read and write. Though, they're going to they're going to be, um, you know, uh, uh, essentially non-literate. Um, and then uh, you also are going to have people who are kind of falling between the cracks of not having ASL um, or, or uh, something like that to go over and fall back on. Um, and I, I think. Just looking at this from that perspective, I'm seeing some cracks. Hey, uh, Commissioner Crowley. Hi. Hi. Thank you for the succinct presentation. Lots of data, and I've always learned that data can be interpreted in favor of any argument. And so that's a tricky place to be. So I appreciate the role of auditors to just kind of lay out the facts. So I had some looking at the same data and some comments that were already uh, addressed. I wasn't sure in your presentation if these are some of the subtle things that are already included, but I just wanted to identify them. Okay. So in terms of a universal need for practical, uh, practical uh, tools, I like the way that the toolkit was introduced in the presentation. So this is in that, uh, in that realm of what are the things, however funding, however the policies are written, that in general, if someone is neurodiverse, has a physical uh, condition that limits communication and, and literacy language, uh, there's a cultural need for interpretation and sensitivity of communication and the simplicity of interpretation. All of that is a great uh, deal of training that the recommendation to have a point person that would manage all that uh, seems reasonable. But here, here it is that at any, at any interaction of the city staff that everyone realizes there's a need for increased time because the, the citizen who's coming or the, the service table, whether it's on the phone, on video, 
there, there's a rush and it's um, a sensitivity of in order to allow for the staff and the individual seeking help and resources, there needs to be an accommodation of time regardless of what type of service is needed to communicate better. The privacy, more so than confidentiality, having privacy where an individual has that autonomy is part of the mission of government. So that person be able to express with a trusted staff person of the city to have that privacy could simply be stepping aside. Uh, I'm imagining something like just a screen where there's just a physical representation. Could be a simple low cost uh, tool in the scenario and environment that these policies would be implementing for the staff. And then uh, something that was I didn't quite catch, but maybe it's in the internal conversations, is currently in 2023, technology is used for interpretation of all kinds, for deaf, for visually impaired, for uh, tools. So even in the smallest remote counties of the US, you'll have large screens where uh, city interns, high school students can address some of these things without requiring the oversight of a supervisor and that's low cost. So I didn't quite catch that technology was viewed. Um, so things like assistive, adaptive and assistive technologies for communication is an entire category that didn't quite get um, recommended. And I think that's a very easy tool because we're in the century that we are in and the technologies have been upgraded within the city. Uh, and then also when it comes to the, the toolkit itself, which is, uh, there's so many uh, availabilities of that sort of uh, resource. Something that is a point of service assessment tool is missing in some of these toolkits that I've seen before. What I mean by that is if we are a customer seeking a service, so if we're a citizen trying to receive uh, something at the counter over the phone, the staff person is unable to assess quickly and therefore should have some tools, a button, a card, a tablet that simply says, here's the artificial intelligence that has been approved by the city. So since I don't immediately understand what you need from me, but you're present and I want to respect that, I'm going to start the policy process of implementing some interpretation, but in that moment, that human interaction between the person paying their taxes and the staff person that can't help them to reduce that frustration and hostility that sometimes comes from a customer service standpoint, there's something in the toolkit that perhaps is a simple discussion in the marketing that includes making some Xerox copies right then and there or having one tablet available so that another person can come and at least include, again, getting some privacy, getting some time, so that others do not uh, become delayed in their need for the attention of a city staff person or a service, and at the same time, give the attention in order to have that person express themselves. Uh, sometimes when there's a mental illness or, or some sort of um, disability which, in, which is not so clearly defined by uh, literature, those are the moments where the staff need the most support. So if there's anything that as a commissioner I can say, it's that the sensitivity training along with that access of that point of service assessment, that will allow everyone to implement these recommendations that are being presented. And that wasn't quite um, clearly expressed and I would have, um, I'm, I'm recommending that that is now in the discussions prior to developing these new policies for language. Okay. Yeah, I'll make sure the city manager's office takes that into consideration in their policy development and let them know. Um, but that, yeah, the technology piece it was covered a little bit on, you know, the website and how we can use, like, Google Translation services, but also making sure that, you know, you don't just rely on that because it's not always accurate. So making sure that there's somebody else that's also reviewing it and making sure that it's translated and um, properly, but uh, having sorts, tablets and stuff, that's a good idea if there are. Yeah, and specifically, the, yes, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, I just wanted to specify, because I was part of those discussions, or at least as a citizen listening. It's unique to the individual 
and there are apps, there are software that can be purchased that allows very, on a minimum scale, for that individual to say this is what the need is mm -hmm. without having to train and take the expense of an entire training where that autonomy is built into the tech. So not the lens of uh, translate something into a foreign language, mm -hmm. but rather apps that allow um, individualization and they're in the category of disability technologies and that serves um, language needs as well as the other things that are addressed in your report. Commissioner Kramer. Hello, um, thank you so very much for your presentation. Um, as we know, um, every when there's an emergency, every second counts, and being and like from the start, from, from the start, it's important that the emergency services know knows what what is go, going on. And for, I know for some people, like you know, whether it's a second language or with a disability, it might be harder for them to communicate what they what they need. To emergency services or for emergency services to be able to understand them. Um, I guess my question is like, do you have any plans on how, like, let's say people who use sign language or people who are deaf or blind to be able to better communicate with, with the services or for the services to communicate um, with them? Uh, well, uh, I think some of the recommendations that we made is identifying when you know, language service providers or ASL providers are um, necessary in the discussions with the customer um, and identifying that quickly and then knowing exactly what steps you need to take to be able to help that person quickly, being trained on it as a city staff on, okay, this is the situation and I know exactly what to do because I've been trained on it. That's been, that's included in the recommendations. I just want to go back again that I think you need to think more holistically about it. It's not just ASL being available, but it may be somebody, it may simply be, hey, you know, if this person can read and write, you can ask them to write, you can write down, make sure that you are writing down what you're trying to ask them mm -hmm. and, and things like that. Um, and just you know, going over and um, I, I think some of the points other people are making over about for some neurodivergent populations, just going over and getting their effective filter down, especially in an emergency, because they may be freaking out. And, it, and those are people skills that don't require translation. This is very translation, and it needs to be. I think you've done a marvelous job over on that. But some of it is about um, just soft communication skills and, and the people in the moment being able to kind of figure out what they're doing. I'm also, once again, struck by the difference between the 311 operators and um, police services, and I can't think why police services would be running into fewer non-English speaking. That doesn't make sense to me. And maybe looking at What's going on over at 311? Are they effective? What are they doing that's effective there? And maybe figuring out what areas where you have people who are effectively managing this communication mm -hmm. and, and uh, looking within your house for who can go over and help as you go forward with this. But some of it's going to be not translation so much as cultural sensitivity um, and, and kind of understanding those things. And I'm sorry to, I, this is a very thorough presentation, and there's a lot, and I don't know if we can address all these things at the first crack of this, but we need to keep trying. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking time out of your, your, your day and presenting to us this evening. Sure. You're welcome. Right. Thank you. Thank you. All right, um, moving on. This is just a receiving file. There's no vote or motion needed here. 
Moving on to the next agenda item, um, member comments, ideas. Uh, any members of the commission would like to speak on anything this time? Commissioner Kennedy. at our local baseball field, Little League baseball field, Collin Park. And my brother, my brother who has cerebral palsy, uh, was going to watch my son, watch my son play uh, Little League. Unfortunately, uh, there wasn't access or any sort of cement access to the bleachers that would allow him to, to watch the game. So what I did in my capacity as a commissioner is reach out to Josh, gave Josh a heads up, and, you know, that process of, you know, not only letting Josh know, letting the city know about a situation like this, I, I, it reminded me that we as commissioners, you know, one of the jobs we have here is not only just to, you know, sit here in the meetings, hear presentations, but we're supposed to be the ones that kind of have our ears to the ground, if you will, right? What are we seeing on a regular basis, you know, that might be affecting the disability community here in Sacramento. I know Brandy has done a great job before in the past, whether it's, you know, some of the issues with some of the parklets or maybe we're not up to code, right, or even what's going on over at the King Stadium. I know Brandy's done a great job of making sure that it really is accessible and those very important handicapped spaces that are near the stadium are always open. So I just wanted to share, you know, something recently that I did, you know, hopefully get the ball rolling to maybe increase access accessibility our local little league field and just encourage my fellow commissioners you know if anything ever does come up you know, to contact josh to let the rest of us know and you know from there i think we can make a, a big difference big change here in our in our city thank you commissioner chand i just had a, a question so based on the presentation that first i just did does our comments and concern get to the city manager? I know she says she would mention it. Answer that, Josh. Yeah, so that was mainly an informational presentation to okay. report back on the, the audit in regards to the language access policy. Uh, what she's referring to is the city manager's office is actually working on the policy itself. So that policy, as it's being developed, will be presented to the DAC. At that time is when we have the opportunity to provide information okay. and input on that policy itself. This was mainly a, an informational presentation just on the findings and the recommendations that are made uh, to support the new policy. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Crespin. Thank you. I just wanted to share that We Embrace is having a resource fair on May 6th. It is free event, and it's in Folsom from 3 to 5.30 at Folsom High School in the multi-purpose room, and that's at 1650 Iron Point. There's going to be over 40 vendors there, and looks like going to be some free carnival games and uh, book and toy drive. So if you're looking for um, services that may be a great place for you. Um, then also, it is summertime, and so this is uh, can be a challenging time to find care and camps and things like that. Um, so I did want to also mention that the Department of Developmental Services, their service access and equity team, they just published their... Um, 2022 and 2023 service access and equity grant program. They're going to be uh, doing a briefing via Zoom on the 15th. So um, folks are interested in that. And then also the awarded projects by the California Department of Developmental Services has been released for the social recreational grants. And these are grants for community integration for children and adolescents. So that's very exciting. So there's a whole list of vendors. There was like four pages of vendors that were awarded grants that might be offering some services this summer. And then I was just going to encourage folks that if they were finding summer camps or summer opportunities, recreational opportunities, and um, they were concerned about, especially for minors, having that one-on-one -on -one support, and if they had that one-on-one -on -one support, then maybe they could do those things if that was a barrier definitely reach out to the regional centers 
um, check in with your service coordinator because one-on-one -on -one support can be part of a budget. So that could be part of a self-determination program budget. So I just wanted to encourage folks to kind of reach out to their service coordinators. And then also, um, it is like the time of bills and legislation, a lot of buzz happening at the Capitol. I did notice that the State Council for Developmental Disabilities did release a list of bills that they're supporting, and there was 14 of those. And, and then um, just kind of being mindful of how some of our community are extra sensitive to some of the chemicals that are in foods. I'm definitely following AB 418, which bans five harmful food additives in California, such as uh, red dye number three. So just a couple of things to share. Um, and then I just had one more note, uh, note about summer camps too. The Mind Institute, I checked a couple of days ago and I didn't see their summer camp on the website, but I know that that's gonna be coming out as well. Um, so that's it, thank you. Commissioner Kramer. Uh, yes, I wanted to share um, that over this past week, I got the opportunity to meet people from LPA or Little People of America. They were having a convention here in Sacramento and I got an opportunity to, to talk, talk with them and I think as commissioners is important for us to be able to interact interact with people people or too like even if they're not from our city to be able to get let them know that that there might be extra help out there in their in their own cities and be able to interact and hopefully be able to improve the lives of their communities th through 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 their cities. Well, thank you. Um. So for commissioner comments, uh, clerk, is there any uh, public comments for matters not on the agenda? Thank you, Chair. I have uh, no speaker slips from those in chambers, and I have no hands raised online. Thank you. Um, well, I'd like to thank the city staff for being here in support of us once again. Um, the presenters and any members of the public who have taken time to join our meeting. With that, this meeting is adjourned.